Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Hello and welcome to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. This is the Arts Commission's weekly turn at the microphone here at MPB. And each week we bring you an in-depth discussion with a different creative Mississippian. We talk to musicians, we talk to craftspeople, photographers, writers, and people who help promote the arts in their community. So today we're going to talk a little bit about music, and we're going to talk about the classical, the world of classical guitar with our guest, Nicholas Seraldo. Nick, welcome. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Well, you are a professor of music at the University of Southern Mississippi, and you're the director of the Southern Miss Guitar Studio there. Before we kind of dive in, I'm just thinking all of us have heard classical guitar, but I'm wondering about kind of when you go, let's say you, you're you at a meeting with non-musicians and you're meeting someone for the first time, how do you explain what it is you do specifically kind of in the musical world? Yeah, it's a very niche part of the musical world. And so, and I've tried over the years to kind of perfect that sort of, uh, descriptor um and so it's it's boiled down to this these days i play classical music on the guitar um, <laughs> first of all think that when you know to, to a certain extent when you say classical guitar it might feel like an exclusive instrument only for a certain type of guitarist i actually play all i play all kinds of guitar but it's just that for the most part most of what i do is i play classical music and you have to play it where it sounds best when it's played on the classical guitar. And you're, um, as well as being a professor, you're a pretty active performer. You record, you you collaborate with other musicians. Give us just a taste of some of the things, that, you know, like maybe in the last, you know, like stuff that you're working on or, or things that you've got going on right now, just so people get a sense of kind of the, the breadth of what you do. Sure. You know, I think that most classical guitarists actually are soloists, um, people who uh, walk out on stage and play an hour, hour and a half long recital of solo classical guitar music, much like you would see a solo piano recital or something like that. However, over the years, I've developed a real affinity and interest uh, in um, chamber music. And so I would say about three quarters of what I do is play music with others. So I'm playing chamber music with flute and guitar, voice and guitar, strings and guitar, all kinds of other instruments and guitar. Sometimes I play guitar and recordings, uh, just guitar plus plus something else. And so I've been doing a lot of that for for a very long time. I have some I've been interested in some projects coming up that will be primarily flute and guitar. That's primarily the result of my main chamber partner, who is also my wife and flutist Rachel Teratut Seraldo. So we play together a lot. And yeah, so it's it's the latest stuff that I've been into is 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 that. But I'm always looking for new things which we can talk about, you know, some sort of covid uh influenced projects that I've been up to lately. 
Well, first, let's step back and just kind of give us the pathway. How did you first discover this music and become uh, interested in, in performing it? A long time ago, <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I've always been musical. I was, I was a musical child. I, I took piano lessons. I took trumpet lessons, sang, loved music. And one day, uh, a new family moved down the street from my childhood home. And there was this boy who uh, moved in, new kid on the block, and he had a guitar. And he and I became friends, and he would show me things on his electric guitar. And it became sort of a thing that we would do whenever we'd hang out. I'd, I'd play on his guitar. And it got to a point where I wanted to play it more often. Uh, and so... I was able to get an electric guitar, and so it kind of actually started on playing blues, rock, folk, all styles, playing primarily by ear, listening to recordings, hitting play, trying to play along with it, stop, repeat, play, etc. I got into folk guitar, I got an acoustic guitar, and then there was this one fateful day where I was in a music shop and I, I saw a classical guitar. I thought, what is that? What is that? That unique looking guitar, pulled it off the rack and started playing it. Um, I had heard some classical guitar recordings. I had known just a little bit about it. So I knew enough that you use your fingers instead of a pick and that it sounds a little bit more complicated in terms of the number of notes that go by per second. And <laughs> it was very intriguing to me. And that was that. It sort of became very clear that I wanted to play the classical guitar. And so I ended up studying it very seriously from a very young age, taking private lessons, practicing hours a day after school. And it just sort of, it all started with uh, uh, my friend Phil down the street. <laughs> so were you originally, did you play in bands or anything? Or was it just something like kind of learning guitar in your, in your bedroom kind of thing? Yeah, no, I guess I've always been playing music with others. Um, I was in a band with some high school friends. Um, I did continue playing electric guitar through high school. Um, I was sort of an average electric guitar player at first, but once I started taking classical lessons, I became really good at electric because all the technical considerations that you learn in the classical tradition, I was able to, to transfer over to electric. So I was lead guitar for this band. We did play a few shows and had a lot of fun. But it kind of, you know, once I went to school, I just didn't have time. To be honest, I had to sell some of my electric equipment to afford some of the classical gear. Um, and just sort of, it all just sort of transferred into the classical realm from that point. You're listening to the Arts Hour, and our guest today is Nicholas Seraldo. He's a professor of music at University of Southern Mississippi and the director of the Southern Miss Guitar Studio. So I guess the big serious step then was into college. Did you go in as a, as a music major pursuing guitar? I sure did. I auditioned at many places and decided on uh, one particular school, went there to study the guitar, went there to study with the guitar teacher there, and to be around the great music students and faculty at that school. It was an immensely influential time because, you know, not only was I able to hone my guitar playing, I was able to be around incredible musicians. It was part competition, part inspiration, just to sort of be exposed to new kinds of music, new composers, new ways of uh, playing, and just it was really an incredibly um, 
uh, enriching time. But uh, yeah, I went in, I knew really I could trace my interest in being a musician and a classical guitarist from that time that I tried the classical guitar for the first time. So I knew that was what I wanted to do well before I got to college. And a lot of times when you're, you're, you know, you're the best, you're the best guitar player in high school, or you're the best guitar player in your neighborhood, but then you head off to college and it's like, I'm just curious about that kind of like, what do you, oh, this is what good it is kind of thing. What do you step into the university level? Oh, that definitely happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I came from a town where there weren't too many classical guitarists, let alone classical musicians. And um, you know, as young, I, I you know, I, I I didn't really know enough to to I just didn't know enough. And so yeah, when I got to college, it was uh, sort of a small fish in a big pond situation. But some of the older, more experienced, uh, just sort of the the better playing guitarists were were mentors. They were teachers. They were friends. They were super helpful. They were, um, I really benefited from those relationships. I still maintain those relationships. And so it was a really good thing. So as you kind of ascended through that world, was it obvious to you, well, I have to, you know, I'm going to become a college professor or were you like, I'm going to be a concert performer or what was your earlier on before you kind of got to the doctoral level where where you thought you were going and how that changed well i got some advice from my uh, guitar teacher when i was in high school and he's and he said look nick you know the classical music world is is a hard world to be successful and to, to sort of be able to pay the rent as a classical musician and being a classical guitarist uh is even harder you don't play an orchestra you don't often play period it's just you know there's not that much of a demand for uh, classical guitar recitals. And so he suggested that I pursue a route in which I could educate. And um, and as I went through various degrees um, in school to get better and better, I realized that it was something that I really wanted to do because all through school I did teach to, to help pay the bills. It was also helping to develop my experience in teaching, to get better at it, and I really started to enjoy it. So I did know from an early age that it was something that was a likely outcome for me, and it was also fortunately something that I ended up really wanting to do. So I was very, very grateful to be able to get the job at Southern Miss. Looking at your your biography, there there's a lot about different guitar competitions that you were in, I guess, earlier on as a student or kind of coming out of school. Talk about those as kind of markers in terms of building a reputation within the professional sphere and how, and how those kind of helped you out in terms of those, competing in those. Sure. Um, so in the classical world, competitions are a big deal. They're very common for, for most instruments, and uh, they're so tough. They're so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I never enjoyed doing them, and uh, particularly when I did poorly. <laughs> but I did come away from that period of my life better for it. Um, so when you go into competitions, you're definitely practicing more. You're definitely striving to play better. I like to tell people that preparing for a competition is like preparing for the Olympics. You see these Olympic athletes who have normal lives, they have other things going on in their life. But in that, after those four years, they are just really pushing the limits of what they can do 
to try to win a medal and gain recognition. Um, it's the same thing going on in the classical world. And so I definitely was really pushing myself to play just as well as I possibly could uh, for the competition day. But what I learned also was a benefit of that was that not only did I get better as a player, I got better as a performer because those situations are very high stakes. You feel the pressure on stage much more so than when you're giving a normal concert. You're not competing with anyone when you're just giving a regular recital. And so it's just a, you kind of develop some tougher skin. The third thing that I was able to benefit from was listening to others, you know, um, similar to when I got to college and thought, whoa, these players are really great. Same thing happened in competitions. You'd show up thinking you were going to win and, you know, you walk away in last place. <laughs> but after hearing these great players, you can you can be inspiring. It can be educational. And then finally, you develop a network. The classical guitar world is small. And so when you go to these festivals and competitions, you're able to network, you're able to meet these players. These are relationships that, you know, you may form at a young age at some competition, but you may know these people for the rest of your career. This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. We're back on the Arts Hour. Our guest today is Nicholas Seraldo. He's the professor of music at USM and the director of the Southern Miss Guitar Studio. When we first started out in the last segment, you kind of gave us that little bit of overview that, you know, kind of your elevator talk. But a lot of us, a lot of people, a lot of listeners, you know, they've had a guitar in the house. Maybe they took guitar lessons when they were a kid. Their uncle plays guitar. So, you know, they're, they're used to the, you know, the acoustic folk guitar. And so tell us a little bit about how classical guitar differs from that and what, you know, in terms of the approach and how you, how you go at the instrument. Yeah, so I can talk about the construction of the instrument. I can talk about how you hold it and play it, and then the kind of music you you play on it. Um, so first, the classical guitar is a little smaller than your standard dreadnought uh, acoustic guitar. If any listeners are familiar with the parlor guitar uh, for acoustic instruments, it's kind of similar to that. The string length is 65 centimeters, which is usually a little little shorter than an acoustic guitar. The internal bracing is a little different as well. It doesn't need to be as rigid uh, as for an acoustic guitar. That's because the strings are different. We usually use the term steel string guitar to refer to an acoustic guitar. It's because they have steel strings. The strings are made of metal. Uh, But on a classical guitar, all six strings are made of plastic, some kind of plastic. You may have heard the term nylon string guitar, and that's, you know, the, the classical guitar. 
The top of the guitar is also a little bit different. Tuners look a little bit different. Um, the headstock has these two holes in bored into the center where uh, the tuners go through, and that's where you tie the strings on. And that's a little different than your standard acoustic guitar. The woods are sometimes a little bit different, but um, you know those are the differences in, in construction. Typically, an acoustic guitar, you hold on your right leg, uh, and you strum with the pick. Uh, to play chords, you may hear some bluegrass players who are soloing lines, playing some sort of doodling around very quickly in that regard, but there's m most people are just kind of strumming chords on an acoustic guitar. On a classical guitar, you primarily hold it on your left leg, elevated. You could have a footstool underneath your left foot. Sometimes they make these guitar supports that go between the left leg and the, the guitar itself, keeping it elevated, but also not requiring that you raise your left foot. And that's so that you kind of put the guitar in this ideal position for both hands. Classical music is really hard to play on the guitar. And um, we've learned a lot about ergonomics and sort of the best possible posture you can have. And so putting it on the left leg as opposed to the right is typ typical for classical guitar. And then as I was talking about earlier, the music is different. So one of the main differences uh, between classical guitar music and standard acoustic guitar or rock or folk or whatever is that a classical guitarist tends to play two lines of music or more at once. So if you can imagine the thumb of the right hand plucking out a low bass line while the index, middle, and ring fingers are playing a top line or like a melody, that's a lot of what the classical guitarist does. Oftentimes people will say, wow, it sounds like two guitars at once. Um, and that's just sort of the result of the classical style of playing finger style and so you're able to play music like that Bach jig you're able to play lots of other cool pieces that require that you play two lines of music at once i think listeners who have you know back when this channel was primarily classical music during you know through most of the hours there was you know classical guitar on here so they've heard kind of Defaya, Manuel Defaya, those kind of classical kind of Spanish, the, the Spanish style or whatever. How does kind of contemporary classical guitar, what talk about the bigger parameters than what maybe people are used to hearing? Yeah, so um, you're right. So in the 20th century, there was a guitarist by the name of Andres Segovia uh, from Spain who really popularized the instrument. It was sort of his lifetime goal to make more people listen to the classical guitar to have the classical guitar as being a, a concert that you would go to at night. And he was from Spain and he liked Spanish music by Spanish composers. And so he was incredibly influential. And so oftentimes it's gotten to the point where his legacy has uh, sort of resulted in Many people thinking, oh, you play classical guitar, so you play Spanish music. Almost that the two things are sort of intertwined, you know, inter interchangeable. And although a lot of people play Spanish music or, you know, Spanish sounding music on the guitar, there is actually a whole world out there of music. And that's why I say I play, I play classical music on the guitar, because when you think classical music, you can think of Mozart, you can think of Bach, you can think of Bartok. You could think of Stravinsky, you know, that just any classical composer it can be realized on the classical guitar. And so 
Yeah, I love Defia. In fact, <laughs> I played a concert just last night, coincidentally, and I, incorp- I included a piece by Defia and a piece by Albeniz, who's also from Spain, uh, but another other, a number of other composers as well. And so I, I really try to play all kinds of composers, but there is this sort of identity, this sort of tradition of Spanish guitar that that the classical guitar world contains. You're listening to the Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Nicholas Seraldo. He's a guitarist and a professor of music at University of Southern Mississippi and the director of the Southern Miss Guitar Studio. Well, we've been hinting around a little bit about your kind of performance world. You know, pre-COVID, what did that... So you're, you know, you're teaching full-time, you're full professor at USM. How does that... How does the performing side fit in and... Maybe you could give us some highlights of stuff maybe over the last few years and maybe some of these collabs as well. Sure. So leading up to COVID, I was performing a whole lot more, um, primarily as, uh, well, I was kind of doing three things. Uh, Soloist, I was performing solo concerts. I tried to perform throughout the world. I would say the last time I went abroad was to China, where I was on a tour of about... 10 different cities in China. It was my first time there. It was an amazing trip. It was incredibly difficult uh, because of the amount of travel and just sort of, you know, it was grueling, but uh, I got to see so much. I got to see the Great Wall of China. I also do a lot of chamber music. Most of that is flute and guitar, but I perform with uh, uh, many other instrumentalists and singers as well. And then I was also performing concertos. Um, So a concerto is a solo with orchestra. So um, I was actually going to be performing several concertos in Mississippi in 2020 and 2021, but they all got canceled um, due to COVID-19. You know, when I'm not teaching, I try to go and perform as much as possible. It is very important to me to perform because I find it to be very fulfilling to communicate my art, to share, to express myself musically. It is also really good for my students because I can come back and say, basically, well, this works when you do that on stage and this does not work. (laughs) So I'm able to kind of give that practical um, advice uh, instead of staying in the theoretical realm when I'm talking to them about how to play or what to play. And so that's been kind of teaching and playing has has been intertwined with me for for, for a very long time. During the pandemic, things changed, obviously. I tried to stay active, but I I had to do it in a different way. And so I sort of uh, changed to a new format of delivering music to the world. What I ended up doing was a lot of audio video projects where I would set up cameras, lighting, microphones, and recording devices, and try to make recordings at home, and then um, edit them in the ways that I knew how to edit them and, and put them out into the world, primarily on social media, YouTube, and stuff like that. Because I live with my main chamber partner, uh, we were able to do a lot of chamber music together, And then there were also some outdoor concerts that I was able to, um, I was fortunate enough to perform in with with her and with many other people over the past year and a half. As things are opening up, I'm performing more and more, but I'm still 
doing audio video projects. I think that that's probably going to be a part of what I do for the time being. It's a lot more work, but it seems to reach a new type of audience. It's uh, very interesting for me to, but I've, I've participated in many, many projects in the past year and a half using a lot of technology. And uh, for people who are interested, um, you you mentioned the recital. I just was seeing, as of this taping, they had put up a, a video of, um, on YouTube. Uh, the USM's music department put up a video of your recital, and it it is kind of like a... Um, you're kind of cataloging some of the stuff that you've been doing over the last year and a half, kind of kind of giving the audience an overview of it. Yeah, so at the University of Southern Mississippi School of Music, faculty often give recitals, and I wanted to give a recital this uh, year. There are opportunities to, to provide music to the community, to the students. There are educational opportunities for students, and they're really great to do for faculty. But I just thought that this year... <laughs> Since it's been so challenging, I would do something a little bit different to address COVID-19 on stage. And again, I was, I'm very grateful and lucky that I was able to do these projects over the past year and a half. And I thought that it would be an opportunity for me to present some of, the, some of those projects live uh, the best way I could in a faculty recital. And so uh, I did put on this recital, I ended up calling it the COVID collection, uh, as if it were sort of this, uh, you know, curated exhibit of, um, of performances. And it ranged from me playing some of the solo pieces that I recorded right here in my home studio to things that I did outside with people to other more elaborate projects. For example, there was recording done Uh, not by myself, but by an organization called Twisted Spruce that asked about 80 guitarists to record different parts to a a large ensemble piece, just to record one part and then send it in to them. And then they put all the parts together and put it out into the world. I was able to play my part along with the recording as if I were playing in that ensemble live in front of the audience. Um, The other cool thing about that particular recording was that they made an animated video to accompany the recording, and I played the video in the recital last night. There were a number of other things uh, that made last night's project special, but it was just sort of a, hey, look what I did over the past year and a half. I think you'll see that it's kind of cool. I try to give a little bit of the behind-the-scenes uh, information about it. For example, I played a wine-tasting gig in which uh, some people in, a, in in one particular town were tasting on a Zoom call, some um, Spanish wine, and they asked the actual winemaker to uh, from Spain to get on the call and talk about the wine that they made, and they asked me to play some Spanish guitar music during that that uh, that event. It was kind of a unique time, you know. I just sort of walk into my studio with a tuxedo on and the camera, <laughs> and the the camera on, and then you know an hour later go out and go change it in normal clothes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was it was really unique. So that concert, you can check out on YouTube. Southern Miss has a channel called USM Music, and that's something that they set up last year during the pandemic uh, because most of our recitals, if not all of them, were done uh, in a streamed, were live streamed. We purchased, the university purchased some um, microphones and cameras to 
put out high quality recordings and videos and so your listeners can certainly go and, and check that concert out and, and many, many others that are available on that channel. It's USM Music. Great, great. Yeah, that is a great um, thing that came out of this is that, you know, increasing the access to people all over the state, not just the people who can get there in person. So that, that, that's, a, that's a great uh, byproduct of this. I would like to say one thing about my ability to, let's say, participate in this new format just before the pandemic. I received an artist fellowship from the Mississippi Arts Commission, and the goal of the grant was to amplify my art. And with the funding, I was able to purchase microphones, cameras, and all the kinds of equipment that you would need to make an audio video recording. I had no idea that we were gonna be quarantined at the time. When the pandemic started, um, however, and all the concert halls closed and there was going to be no way for me to perform live, I thought, holy cow, I have all this equipment. I have the ability to, to do this. And so I just want to give a shout out to Mac. And I'm so grateful for their support of my art and art of many others. You made this possible. You made it possible for me to be successful during this time. So thank you. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that and, and hear that that, you know, benefited you in that way. This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. We're back for our final segment of the Arts Hour today. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Nicholas Seraldo. He is the director of the Southern Miss Guitar Studio at University of Southern Mississippi, and he's a professor of music there as well. So the Southern Miss Guitar Studio, what is that? What, who's involved in that? What, what goes on at the Southern Miss Guitar Studio? The Southern Miss Guitar Studio is one of many studios in our great school of music. We have uh, about 40 faculty who have uh, and a a collection of that group is uh, what are called applied professors. Uh, These are the professors who teach you how to perform um, an instrument at the Olympic level. And uh, so the guitar is part of that. I've been here for about 15 years. We have students uh, ranging from the undergraduate through the doctoral level. Students can pursue degrees in performance, which would, so that would be a Bachelor of Music in Performance. We also have a Bachelor of Music in Education uh, and also a Bachelor of Arts. And then there's the Graduate Degrees, Master of Music in Performance and Doctor of Musical Arts uh, in Performance. And so the students there learn uh, guitar performance from me. They learn 
uh, music theory, they learn, learn music history, they learn about teaching music, they learn how to train their ears. They also receive a, sort of a general education curriculum, English, science, math, psychology, etc. It's a really uh, fantastic curriculum and um, something that we're very proud of. The studio has been really great to me over the years. I've tried very hard to work with the guitar students there. And uh, yeah, it's just been great. We give recitals, student recitals, studio recitals. We try to perform in the community when we can, whether it's at an assisted living community or elsewhere, um, trying to participate in the community as much as we can. And um, yeah, and so students, when they graduate, they either continue their training to do what I'm doing. They could become uh, full-time performers. They can become educators, whether it's in the public school system or uh, elsewhere. There are also fields of the music business, that music world that they can um, pursue that are not necessarily directly related to the degree. For example, uh, entertainment law or recording engineering and things like that. We have students coming from all over. I have uh, students who have come from various parts of uh, Latin America, various parts of the U.S., many students from Mississippi, and um, from various backgrounds as well. It's been, uh, every year is very different. Every student is very different. Every day is a challenge. Every day is really kind of exciting. I meet with my students in the studio for one hour every week. And in that hour, it's an intense session in which they're performing for me and I'm evaluating their performance. I'm guiding them toward an improved realization of their performance or sort of an improvement in their playing, talking about their interpretation. I tell my students, by the time you graduate, a couple things that I want to have happen. One, I don't want you to need me anymore. Huh. <laughs> I want them to be independent thinkers. I want them to decide for themselves how they want the pieces to go. And so I try to kind of show them that through the years that they're with me. Second thing is I want you to be successful. Now, being a great guitarist doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful. So I, I try to talk with them over the years about entrepreneurship, budgeting, accounting, uh, hustling. Um, Fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. All, <laughs> But all that yeah. yeah, all that stuff to kind of make sure that they can be successful and things of that nature are, are um, really important. And the third thing is to, to be an artist. I've been in many situations where a student doesn't really get the opportunity to decide for themselves or to actually be allowed to kind of decide, okay, how am I going to play this? How do I want it to sound versus how does the teacher want me to play it? And so I try to guide them toward sort of self-awareness and, you know, self-identity and how they want the piece to go instead of saying, no, 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 not good enough yet. Do this and then I'll approve it. You know, I try to get them to become artists in that way. You're listening to the Arts Hour and our guest today is Nicholas Seraldo. He's the director of the Southern Miss Guitar Studio and a professor of music at USM. And we've mentioned, uh, you've mentioned multiple times your, uh, your primary musical partnership in your life and which has its own name, and I'm going to mispronounce it, so I'm going to let you talk talk a little bit more about what all what all the two of you do. That would be my pleasure. I met Rachel Teratut in college, and I learned that she was a flutist, 
and uh, we decided to play in a chamber ensemble together. So we started to play in a duet, uh, playing music for flute and guitar. We became friends, we started dating, and the rest is history, as they say. Um, Rachel Teratutz Raldo and I have been making music for over 20 years now. Initially, we called ourselves the Seraldo duo for obvious reasons. Actually, the name was given to us when we went to a uh, music festival. We were artist fellows at a music festival um, as students, and um, we didn't really have a professional name at the time. We were still students. And so when we showed up, we saw the, uh, the roster of chamber groups that had arrived, and they had named us the Seraldo duo. Um, and so we just it just sort of stuck. But... Uh, uh, several years back, um, Rachel's sister passed away, and the word Chintamani was a symbol that uh, was special to her sister uh, for a couple different uh, sort of personal reasons. And so we na- renamed ourselves Duo Chintamani, Duo Chintamani. Chintamani is a symbol that comes from Turkish folklore, and so it just sort of was a special name in our family, and that's why we kept it. We've played a lot of music for flute and guitar. I would say maybe second to guitar and guitar as a duo. Flute and guitar is really, really common. Uh, oh, most okay. com- yeah, the most common for classical guitar. Okay. Um, I, in fact, there are a lot of flute and guitar uh, romantically involved duos. I almost feel like we should have a convention of flute and guitar <laughs> uh, duos that are that are uh, together, but. So we do a lot of projects together. We do. Uh, we have commissioned pieces together. In f- in fact, this summer we're planning on making our first album together um, of music by the composer Matt Van Brink. So we're and I can talk about that more. But it's been an incredibly fulfilling experience to perform with her. With her, Rachel is an ex- just an amazing musician, beautiful flutist, and has shown me a lot in terms of how to be a chamber musician, how to be a better musician. And uh, we really love playing together. We're, we're very, very tight now as a, as, a, as a duo. You know, during COVID, because we lived together, we, we, there was no fear of playing together. So we were able to do a lot of concerts together. Granted, they were in empty halls, but we were able to play them together. We were able to do a lot of home projects together. And so it's been, it's been great. I'm so thankful for her. And and you mentioned uh, Matt Van Brink, and is that the the composer who you, you were a fellow student at, together at, at, in school at some point, right? That's right. Um, I saw so, a video of you guys talking about collaborating, yeah. That's right. So Matt Van Brink and I uh, and Rachel uh, all went to the same school of music together. And when I got to college, I noticed that a lot of composers, uh, student composers, were not that interested in writing new music for the guitar. And after talking with them, I realized that it wasn't that they did not like the classical guitar. It was that they just didn't understand the instrument. Uh, you know, if you look at a piano, you push a key, that's where the note is. Then, you know, it doesn't take an expert to kind of figure out how to play a certain note. But on the, cl- on the guitar in general, the, it's kind of a weird matrix. You can play one note in, you know, five or six different places on, on one instrument. And so, they just got confused and frustrated and just sort of didn't just were too scared to touch it. Well, I, along with a composer friend of mine at the time, 
decided to come up with this program where we matched student composers with student guitarists. And they would go over sketches of a new piece of music that the composer would write, and the guitarist would go over the sketches and point out what was technically possible and what was not. And we called it the Hammer Nail Project, hammer and nail being two very basic uh, images for building something, but also hammer being a technique on the guitar and nail being, well, we play with nails when we play. So sort of a play on words there. Anyway, Matt Van Brink was one of those uh, composers. He was he was in the first class of uh, Hammernell Project composers, and he wrote this fantastic set of preludes. They were called prelude. They are called prelude miniatures, and um, I love them. I recorded them and um, became friends with Matt through that process. We ended up living together in Boston for a year when we were in uh, grad school, and have kept in touch ever since. I've always been a fan of his music. I think it's incredibly cool. It's jazzy. It's eclectic. It's um, there's it's beautifully lyrical at times, rhythmic, just very exciting. It can get very compositionally smart, I guess you could say. Uh, there's just things are interwoven. Themes come back. Ideas are developed. I just love his music. Uh, and he writes pretty darn well for the guitar. And so um, a couple of years ago, I rekindled our collaborative professional part of our relationship by commissioning a piece of music for solo guitar. And then after that, we commissioned a piece of music um, for fluting guitar. By the way, that was through a grant given to us by the Mississippi Arts Commission. So yet another shout out to them for that. So in late March, actually on March 29th, we will be giving the world premiere of Matt Van Brink's uh, new work for flute and guitar called Liminal. And that piece and all of Matt's piece, uh, all his music with guitar in it, either solo or guitar and something else, will be in that full album that Rachel and I will be part of this summer. And so um, we're very excited about, about that. Well, Nick, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate having you. So you mentioned the concert's going to be up. Uh, give us a little, if you have a little more info on that, on the upcoming concert and any other uh, upcoming things or, or point people to where they can learn more about your music. Sure. 24 hours a day, you can go to nicholasseraldo.com. nicholasseraldo.com is my main website. You can also go to the Southern Miss School of Music website, uh, and that's USM edu slash music and you can look me up there you can find out information about the guitar studio you can look up information about me there if you go on youtube you can look me up and then you can also go to usm music uh, for recitals that i've given there and, and other faculty and student recitals guest artists and so on at our school of music and then again, March 29th is when I'll be giving my next performance here in Mississippi, where I'll, we'll give the world premiere of Matt Van Brink's piece, Liminal, uh, with Rachel Teratit-Seraldo. And um, I would also just say, you know, on Facebook and Instagram, I'm always putting stuff up, whether it's uh, something I'm working on or um, information about an upcoming concert. Um, always a good place to try to keep updated there. And the concert on the 29th, will that be at the university or...? Yes, it is. It's going to be in our Marsh Auditorium, which is in the Fine Arts Building on the campus of Southern Miss uh, at 8 p.m., free admission. 
um, open to the public. It will also be live streamed. And so if you can't make it, it's going to be uh, live streamed and available on YouTube. Excellent. Thank you so much again. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel.